1: Party started. Lights are flashing. Not sure what we are doing here except having a great time. How's that? It's the Indiana Outdoor Show. I am your host, Brian Pointer. We're brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. dot I know we talk about this each and every week multiple times, but we are making progress on that Hoosier donor waiting list. Sign up to be an organ and tissue donor when you buy your hunting and fishing license. Huge show, huge weekend. It is the final weekend of the Boat Sport and Travel Show. It is the weekend of the Deer Turkey Waterfowl Expo. I'll be out there just a little later on this afternoon. Always one of the highlights. And before we hit that, we got a little business to take care of here. Gene Hopkins, president of the Indiana Sportsman's Roundtable, going to join us about legislative initiatives. We've had some successes that we need to get a comment on uh, this bobcat issue that's been in papers i think is one of the best success stories we could possibly highlight here in the state of indiana brandon butler award-winning outdoor writer he's got a new gig which i'm Proud to support. Plus, he's got a movie about a moose hunt coming up that I'm also wanting him to talk about. And our good friends at Ducks Unlimited, Wyatt Lucas, joins us wildly popular. Uh, big DU sponsored dinner on Thursday night. We have so much to talk about, so much success in the state of Indiana. As you can see, I don't want to give any less time to Gene. We got a lot to talk about in the legislature's Indiana Outdoor Show. I'm your host, Brian Pointer, back right after this. Mm-hmm. So good to be with you. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. You know, I say it's so good to be with you and it sounds so trite, but it is. It's really good to be with you today. It's not like you're on a date or anything, right? Or just, you wouldn't want somebody to say it's so good to see you. You just want some love and attention and affection, right? No, that's what we're giving here. It's a little Indiana Outdoor love and attention. And it is the second weekend of the 69th annual Ford Boat Sport and Travel Show. Deer Turkey Waterfowl Expo kicked off last night, so a lot of stuff going on around uh, if you're interested in the great Indiana outdoors. Of course, the legislative session uh, is in, and we always like to keep track of things uh, for sportsmen and women, conservation, no better organization than the sportsman's roundtable to do that gene hopkins president joins us gene i know it's been a little bit of a run but there's been some things happening down at the state house and some positive things so i just thought i'd reach into you and see where we are how you been first great. of all
2: I'm great i've been great brian thank you very much um yeah it's been a busy busy late winter and
1: early spring here uh in the legislature and within dnr it has indeed. Hey, you know, before we begin, I saw that you took a nice little trip down to Mexico. How'd your hunting trip go?
2: Oh, it's great. I love, I love it down there. We've talked before about this, but you know, I, I'd look at Mexico kind of like back in the sixties when people were first starting to go up to Alaska, you know, there were a few people going up there like Pat Wolf and Be- uh, Bob Pitt and Fred Asbel from here in Indiana. And uh, it was an adventure because they were kind of pioneers in bow hunting up in that area. Mexico, Sonora is, is similar, you know, where we are right now, down there. So, it's, you go down there, and I was the only
1: person on 22 square miles of private ranch. I was the only person. Wow. What well, was it successful? You're a javelina? What were you doing? I was coos deer hunting. Coos cows deer. deer. hunting. Got. It's officially
2: cow's deer, but everybody calls them coos deer. Uh I ended up taking
1: two. Good for you. All right. Great. Now back to the business at hand. I knew we got to talk about the fun stuff first. Now at the business at hand, legislature has been busy, and I know Bobcats were above the fold kind of news, mainstream news, but why don't you kind of set the record straight on what this is all about for those that might be listening today, because it is a good thing. It's a, It's a wonderful testimony to the American conservation model.
2: I I think that's absolutely the right way to phrase it. Um, You know, the Bobcat was um, not very common in Indiana back, you know, during the years when we were growing up, Um, it was extremely rare to hear stories of somebody having seen a Bobcat. But over the last, and say ten to twenty years, the Bobcat population has really just exploded, and now we're seeing you know all of us who have trail cameras out have bobcats on our trail cameras. We're sitting in our tree stands and watching bobcats walk across the fields during the middle of the day, which is unusual for an animal that's so secretive and most often nocturnal, but there are so many of them out there now uh, that's a testament to the conservation efforts in in the state of Indiana, you know, that we can have an animal that was so rare 15 well 30 40 years ago and now it's common. It to, is the point indeed. Where, to the point where they're they're they are starting to impact some of the small game populations. Uh, and they they're at a point where their population is probably going to start seeing some uh, biological impacts because of overpopulation. You know, disease is something you think about, and and there's only so many rabbits to go around to feed the bobcats. So... <clears throat> It's just a point where they really do need to be controlled.
1: Well, that is a perfect lean-in because an indicator of population success like the deer is the deer car collisions. We all are aware of of that over the year, but now we've had more and more and more reports of bobcats getting hit by cars, and that yeah. just doesn't happen unless there's, in areas, a, a surplus.
2: You know, I, I spend a lot of time in areas like uh, Idaho and Montana. and out west where bobcats, you think bobcats are pretty common out there, even up in Upper Peninsula, Michigan, uh, lower, Upper Lower Peninsula, Michigan, where bobcats have always been fairly common. They don't have bobcat car collisions (laughs) like we do. So even here in Indiana, we must have so many more bobcats per square mile than places we typically think of as bobcat country.
1: Well, you know, that's funny you talk about bobcat country because I've hunted for in this state for 45 plus years. I have never seen one in the wild, but it's only been in the last five years that everybody that I hunt with has a trail cam all over Indiana has said, Hey, what is this? I've never seen this. It's showing up and it's more and more Bobcat reports. And yeah. you know, this, this conversation is is something that actually should be celebrated because like deer, uh, when my dad was hunting deer and started to hunt when I was just a young man, there were no deer in this state, but it all was a reintroduction and a management effort. There were no turkeys. Uh, we've seen what's happened with the otter. This is just another success story in a very managed way that uh, people need to understand is just part of, of the process of yeah. that success.
2: I, again, I like the word you use, celebration. Uh, we should celebrate that the bobcat have recovered to the point where they are. Uh, you know, I see during a during a typical deer season now sitting in my stand, I'll see four to five bobcat sightings a year um, just from a daytime tree stand set. That's just so unusual. Yep. Uh, my son watched a bobcat come in. He was watching a raccoon play. Uh And he watched a bobcat stalk in on that raccoon and and kill and eat that raccoon oh what you know, a, that, that's
1: glorious yeah,
2: yeah, I mean what a celebration of success you know for the conservation movement, conservation, the wise use of natural resources um so, yeah, it's a celebration moment.
1: So what has, in actuality, the legislature said to the Department of Natural Resources, establish some rules, some criteria. We've had a trapping season for other things in in a quota basis, like the River Otters uh It's now on the governor's desk, so we'll follow this. It is a good thing. More details to come, but for those that ever have any question about the role of of game management and conservation, this is a story certainly that should be followed. What else is happening down at the legislature this year that you, uh, in particular, and the others of the uh, roundtable are paying attention to? (laughs)
2: Well there's a, there's a few bills that I think people uh, you know are getting they're not getting the publicity in, in talk that the Bobcat bill is but there's some other bills down there that are very interesting and we're following along uh one um catastrophically um injured service veterans and catastrophically injured has a definition that means you know you've lost your eyesight or you've lost limbs or you know you're it's it's beyond um the Purple Heart stage, you know, it's there. There's maybe 20 people in the state of Indiana, I'm told, that would qualify to be designated as catastrophically injured, uh, and that's a term that's used by the Veterans Affairs uh, and the government to to be able to distinguish the level of severity of their injuries. <clears throat> there was a bill that was introduced uh, by Senator Baldwin to allow those people with that designation to be able to hunt during the youth seasons. Um, So they would be able to go on a deer hunt, uh, turkey hunt during those times when um, we've set aside for the youth, under the youth rules. And again, there's only like 20 or so people that would fit under that category. So that's a bill we're following right now. Um, Last I saw with that one, I don't think it had and voted on in the House. It did pass the Senate. <clears throat> um, there was another bill that is interesting, and I think people would really um, you know, need to look into it so they can form their own opinion on it, but it's to use drones with thermal in- imaging to be able to recover um, deer. Right. So that bill... Um, did pass the senate and is over in the house i looked yesterday and i didn't see that it had been voted on in the house but the idea here is that like today some people use dogs to recover wounded deer that they would be able to also use drones with thermal imaging to go in and look for a a dead deer Um, now the tricky part becomes, okay, how do you differentiate if they're looking for a dead deer or looking for it to be able to hunt a deer that they captured on trail cameras and they just can't find it? You know, so I use the thermal imaging and drones to go in and, and find a deer that I've been hunting and, and he's disappeared on me. That's, that's not good. But being able to use thermal imaging and a drone to find a deer that crawled up under a brush pile and died, that's good. So where do you draw the line so that bill is is uh you know there's two sides to that bill um and the language needs to be careful that we can allow the conservation officers to be able to distinguish whether somebody's using that drone and that thermal imaging legally or illegally
1: got it and you know i'm not sure what i feel about this because it is a like you said you just identified the issue it's it's a good thing to be able to find uh, a down deer it's certainly not fair chase if you employ the technology that's available today in the way that you described so we'll have to wait and see on on this bill but overall it's been I don't think the department got surprised in any of their issues that they brought before the legislature. I know we've had huge conversations about wetlands in the state of Indiana, which we could talk for days about, but at the end of the conversation, it looks like a fairly safe legislative session for the sportsmen and women of the state of Indiana. Is that a fair statement?
2: Yeah, and I think that, you know, to to go a little deeper on that, I think the cooperation between uh, the legislature and DNR this year has been better than has been in the last few years. Um, Senator Baldwin has has done a really good job of reaching out to DNR and not surprising them with the language in his bills, uh, working with them, working with us. He reached out to us um, before he introduced the bills and uh, wanted to get our inputs on things. So the cooperation, I think, is improving, which is, thank God, you know, it's not been good over the last few years. Uh, But now it seems to be moving in the right direction.
1: Gene Hopkins is our guest, uh, president of the Sportsman's Roundtable here in the state of Indiana. And we can talk a lot about different things that may or may not happen in this legislative session, but some really important things and some celebrations and some good things uh, for the sportsmen and women. Have you been down to the Boat Sport and Travel Show yet?
2: No, I'll be there tomorrow afternoon. <clears throat> and as normal, I encourage. Everybody with young people in their families could be your children or your grandchildren or even your neighbor kids. The Indiana Bull Hunters Association every year has a shooting range in the back um, to bring your bring the young people back there and let them try out a bow and arrow. Maybe they've never shot before and they'd like to. So look for that in the, in the back wall of the uh, Deer and Turkey Expo and waterfowl. Uh, look for the Indiana Bull Hunters Association back there. I'll be back there tomorrow afternoon and we'll be hopefully taking several hundred kids through um, an introduction to shooting a bow and arrow.
1: Well, we had uh, Tim Beck on last weekend because they always have a huge presence and so kid-friendly trying to get youth introduced to the outdoors. They're doing their shooting simulation. We always are welcoming the conservation officers and law enforcement that are in their booth, and it should be another great success this weekend. I'm sure it's going to be jam-packed in the final weekend. Anything else that you're asking people to be aware of very quickly uh, during this legislative session or any call to action?
2: Well, I think let's switch from legislative to DNR rulemaking process here real quick. Um, there was a rule passed um, in the NRC, preliminary adoption. And preliminary adoption, for those that don't know, means that we're going to take it out for public hearing now. Uh, public testimony, public input. There was a, a rule proposed by um, by our deer biologist to change the way our deer antlerless system works. And in the spirit of trying to simplify things is what uh, Joe is trying to do here. And whereas in the past, each county had a quota, say Bartholomew County might've been a three, Jennings County might've been a four, Brown County might've been a three. All across the state, every county had a different number as to how many antlerless deer could be taken during the antlerless season. If you added that all up, in, in theory, nobody would do it. But in theory, you could take several hundred antlerless deer if you, if you maximized each county's quotas. <clears throat> so what Joe is proposing and, and is going to public input now is that we have a statewide, um, I'll use the word quota, but a statewide limit then of six antlerless deer. So you might take two in Bartholomew and two in Jennings and right, two in right. uh, Brown. But it's a total of six. Now, once you got six, then you're done, right? So you couldn't go off to Decatur County and kill another two or three.
1: <clears throat>
2: and it would be not they would get rid of the antlerless only seasons, and they would allow this. You could take those deer during any season as long as you don't exceed the county quota and the statewide limit.
1: Well, it's going to be very interesting, and I love the process that the Natural Resources Commission has in place, and we're going to follow this. And, Gene, always great to visit with you. I hope to see you out at the Deer Turkey Waterfowl Expo. Let's stay in touch on some of these bills as the legislature rounds the corner here. And I hope, as always, you have a great weekend and teach those kids how to shoot some bows and get some more archers out there, huh?
2: Come on, Brian. We'll, we'll get I you over there.
1: Shoot him, <laughs> I, I probably need a tune-up. Gene, always great to visit with you, my friend. One of the hardest working guys. Appreciate him as always. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. Of course, we're brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. We're going to be back. More to come right after this. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. It's the last weekend of the Deer Turkey Waterfowl Expo Boat Sport and Travel Show. I am your host, Brian Pointer. So great to be with you this weekend and every weekend. And, of course, we're brought to you by our friends at Indiana Donor Network Driven to Save Lives.org. The number two, you can sign up to be that organ and tissue donor. When you buy your hunting and fishing license, couldn't be any easier. Uh, as mentioned at the top of the hour, we're visiting with uh award-winning outdoor writer, just all-around great guy, regular on Indiana Outdoors, Brandon Butler. It's so good to have you be a part of Indiana Outdoors. What have you been working on? See, I always hate to ask that question with you because you do so many exciting things, and I live vicariously through you.
0: Well, I've been busy. I've been busy. Uh, one thing I'm super excited about is finalizing a film that I did uh, to capture my moose hunt in Montana uh, this past fall. I had the good fortune of taking a friend with me who's a, a very distinguished Hollywood cameraman. He was out of work because of the writer's strike, and I convinced him to go traipse around in the mountains of northwest Montana um, and and showed him what outdoor writer, outdoor communicator pay looks like. You know, I, br- I brought him into the fold. <laughs> uh, but we made this incredible film, and what I really like about it is, is it not only is it a successful moose hunt, but the the actual gist of the film is based in my view of what a non-resident hunter brings to a community when they go there to hunt. So I go to Calistone, Montana, Whitefish, Montana, and <clears throat> excuse me, um, I get a moose that cost me over $3,000 in application fees and license fees to to have the privilege to hunt. But then I come back to town and I have to get a tire repaired. Uh, We go to the Moose Saloon and get pizza and drinks. Um, We go to a processor and meet the family that's taking care of this. We go to the taxidermist and talk to the taxidermist that's doing my European mount. go to a tanner and meet this woman it's a woman-owned business that tans hides for taxidermy and individuals and and we're showing how like this impact uh, directly affects this community and we see a lot of politics right now surrounding non-resident hunters uh, especially out west that being a certain segment of people don't want as many non-resident hunters coming to their state And uh, I hope to show some of the value that those non-resident hunters bring to those
1: communities. So when and how will we be able to see this?
0: It's going to debut on Carbon TV uh, online for free. That way, I wanted it to be out there for anybody to be able to view. You don't have to subscribe to anything. You can just watch it. I had some great sponsors. Silence or Central, Title sponsored it. Mystery Ranch Packs, uh, Savage Rifles. I've got a great story about how I used U.S. Savings Bonds from my great grandparents. I had to wait 35 years for them to mature, so I could cash them in and then buy this savage rifle. Um, Vortex Optics, Sawyer Products—that's a great company that makes like permethrin bug sprays and water filters. Um, so I just—I had a, a great uh, sounds like a,
1: system. sounds like the all-star lineup. When will this be available? Yeah. And did you say on Carbon TV.
0: Yeah, Carbon TV, and then uh, we'll distribute it on some social channels as well. I look forward um, to that. Hopefully within two months. So you're, I'm, that's my way of making sure you have me back on so I can announce <laughs> that
1: it's ready to go. Well, it is a contract year for you, Brandon. I don't know. We need to step up the content. So this is a good opportunity. <laughs> so you've always got new and exciting things going on. You, this Moose Hunt uh, project is is exciting because I understand the value of everything that you just described. And I'm anxious because I know how you put things together. It'll be fantastic. Uh, I understand you got a new gig, kind of related. To the outdoors, but always supporting military and veterans and those that have served so well. Tell us briefly about this new opportunity.
2: I
0: became the CEO of Retrieving Freedom, which is a service dog organization based in Sedalia, Missouri, and Waverly, Iowa. Um, I have nonprofit leadership experience. I ran the Conservation Federation of Missouri for five years, so I know all of the intricacies of running a nonprofit. I had gone into renewable energy, uh, incredible industry. I was making great headway. I was on the board of directors of the American Biogas Council. You know, things were steam ahead. I ran into an old friend from the past whose family owns Starline Brass. They're uh, maybe the, the highest end of the high-end brass for ammunition that you can buy in this country. And I have a lot of respect for the Hayden family and I ran into Bobby at a University of Missouri football game, and he's telling me about this nonprofit that his parents are supporting and have donated a significant amount of money to, including 22 acres of land and he built a gigantic, beautiful campus for the organization. And Bobby said, "We're just struggling to find the right leadership. Would you have any interest?" And I said, "Man, honestly, I don't think so." I'm. I'm pretty happy in this nonprofit or I'm pretty happy in this, uh, renewable energy world and, and nonprofit work is just, it's tough, man. And so we'll come down and see the facility. So it did. And when I was there, there was a 75 year old Vietnam veteran in residence with his wife and, um, the light bulb just went on. This woman's story had me in tears. I thought for a minute I was set up, you know, but then I looked over at Bobby and, he had tears in his eyes as well. So learning how these service dogs provide freedom to not only the recipient, but also the people in that recipient's life, especially their spouse, their children, and, and being able to see uh, you know, physical and mental changes in people because of having this constant companion that brings them peace. The organization gives these dogs away completely for free. Each one's got two years of training, you know they're valued between thirty and fifty thousand dollars.
1: Oh my goodness! Place
0: them for free. So we only we only you know exist on the generosity of others. So my job as CEO is to, of course, get the word out, and then hopefully generate enough revenue to continue the operation.
1: I love the um, name of the organization, retrieving freedom, and it's so appropriate. I know I don't. Some might say I suffer from those things, and I don't mean to make light of it because I understand completely, but I know the joy a dog brings to me, and I consider myself uh, healthy. I can't imagine... Because I've seen this story over and over, the service dogs, especially with those that have served in our military, the things they've seen, et cetera. I understand if you want to hear more about this, you interviewed that person uh, on an upcoming podcast of Driftwood Outdoors that you run. Probably can hear that at some point in time, correct?
0: Yes, in about two weeks. If you're interested, in, if you're not subscribing to Driftwood Outdoors podcast already, then this is a good reason to do it. So it'll end up in your inbox. Uh, this I is an it. interview you're going to want to listen to. His name's Ivan, her name is Mary Jo. Uh, I think you'll find it to be a pretty moving interview of a 75-year-old Vietnam veteran who really opens up about the the weight he carries 50 years later. I
1: can't imagine. Brandon, it's always great. That's why you're award-winning. That's why you're a contributor here on Indiana Outdoors. Appreciate you, as always. Hope to see you here in Indiana again real soon, and I'm looking forward to more updates on this Moose Project and all the other projects you're involved in. Great to visit with you, as always, Brandon Butler. Thanks a lot, Brian. My pleasure. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. Great guy. Looking forward to all his upcoming projects. We're brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives.org. Don't go anywhere. We're going to be back right after this. It is the Indiana Outdoor Show. I am so happy to be here in this studio today. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Of course, I, Brian Pointer, were brought to you by Indiana Donor Network, driven to save lives. That's the number two dot org. Making progress on that donor list, but sign up when you buy your hunting and fishing license to be that all-important organ and tissue donor. And you already know by now, it's the last weekend of the 69th Annual Ford Boat Sport and Travel Show, the Deer Turkey Waterfowl Expo. We'll be out there a little later on today, and it has been jam-packed, as always, but I wanted to take a time to get with our good friends at uh, Ducks Unlimited, one of the great conservation organizations and wyatt lucas joins us now and wyatt you've had quite a string of some activities here you're the regional director for the south of ducks unlimited a lot of great activity a lot of great momentum and a lot of success for ducks unlimited nationally and recognition but that comes with a lot of great hard work that you and the other colleagues at ducks unlimited here in indiana have put forth so congratulations and thanks for being a part of indiana outdoors
3: i appreciate you having me on brian yeah it's uh It's been a wild ride with Ducks Unlimited. Um, As you may have known, um, in calendar year 2023, Indiana Ducks Unlimited hit a milestone year, raising over $2 million for wetland conservation, and that's in part thanks to our three paid staff members in the state and our over 1,100 volunteers that give their time, effort, and dedication to our organization. And then, like you said, we've been busy Uh, DU and Indiana is a cyclical organization, so we are in the heart of what we call our spring fundraising season. Um, Josh, my counterpart in the North, and I are on the road probably three to four nights a week, no Saturdays free, um, attending and overseeing probably 40 to 50 events from now until the end of April.
1: You know, I uh, I've shared this story, but it bears repeating my affinity for Ducks Unlimited start when I was a little guy and I went to a banquet with my dad who I didn't even really consider a duck hunter, but he took me to a Ducks Unlimited banquet banquet at Meridian Hills Country Club. I can still remember it. I still have the book that I bought from the speaker that was there that night, and it was such a great vibe. I just wanted that to continue. Fast forward, lifelong friends, when I became a young man, running those banquets with this group of individuals who now we hunt and do things, and uh, just recently became a life sponsor myself for Ducks Unlimited, my passion for your efforts in conservation are uh, second to none. And when I hear these numbers relative to the country, we are number two. The state of Indiana is number two in the country and not that much farther behind than Wisconsin and to have those kinds of numbers in this little old indiana this hoosier state is phenomenal and that is a dedication not only to the staff but more importantly to those thousand plus volunteers that show up and help coordinate these events is that enough of a commercial for you was that a good one yeah that works yeah that works, yeah, that works for me in all seriousness uh the sponsored dinner Uh, One of my favorite events, and I'm glad that that's back bigger and better than ever, was Thursday night. Last, uh, just a couple weeks ago, you had the volunteer coordinator dinner, several hundred people down at the Crown Plaza uh, announcing some of these successes in the state of Indiana. And there's just so much more work to be done. But Indiana is the beneficiary of this. Thousands and thousands of conservation uh, acres saved and wetlands saved. So uh, where do you go from here?
3: Honestly, Brian, it's uh, it's tough to tell. We always have to sit down with our higher-ups, you know, and, and set um, year-end goals. I know our state committee, you know, that consists of our state chair, our state chair-elect, our regional vice president, and our many district chairs and area chairs across the state of Indiana. Um, they always have goals that we like to establish. Um, just a, a handful of years ago, Indiana was raising as a state $400,000, and like I said, we just closed at $2 million, so I don't think our ceiling's been hit yet. But you're also in event fundraising. You know, anybody in our line of work understands there are years that are going to be down, and that's just due to unforeseen circumstances, things that we uh, can't control as as regional directors and as volunteers. Um, so we just kind of push through those kinds of years and, and hope for the best. I know um, I've heard being tossed around the, the number of $2.5 million. Somewhere down the line, I don't know if that's going to be 2024, maybe 2025, maybe 2026, but I definitely think the... The path that we are trending, the new volunteers we're bringing aboard, the new life sponsors like yourself that are getting involved on the major donor aspect of things, I, I, I don't see $2.5 million being unreachable in the next two to three years. So we are, we're just going to keep pushing. We're going to keep recruiting new chapters. We're going to have our current chapters keep growing, add new events when possible. I know Jason Kern, our newly hired director of development, is working hard on the major donor side, bringing companies, businesses, other individuals on board with what we're doing in development. And I think between the hard work of all of us, I I think we we are going to be continuing to do great things in Indiana for wetland conservation.
1: Wyatt Lucas, Ducks Unlimited Regional Director. All of the other organizations are so good, and I attend and support them where I can. The deer, the ducks, the turkeys, the elk. The pheasant, the quail, they all have their organizations, all going to preserve habitat. But Ducks Unlimited is the envy of all of those organizations with the dedication and the amount of of uh, not only volunteers and chapters and people, but <clears throat> that just doesn't happen uh, without a great culture. So I got to ask you a question. When you talked about no free nights, no Saturdays on the road, four nights a week, why do you do this? Why does Wyatt do this?
3: Well, I uh, much like most individuals that get involved with Ducks Unlimited. I can flash back. I was a junior in high school. I was sitting in the blind number seven at the Stillwater Marsh, located uh, in Bloomington, Indiana, just off of Monroe Reservoir. And I was sitting in there with my uncle and my cousin. This is the first time I'd ever been waterfowl hunting in my life. Um, my father was, is not an outdoorsman. He, um, he's got other hobbies, so I kind of got roped into it with my uncle and cousin, who were avid duck hunters and still are to this day. And, um, you know, when all things worked out in Indiana, we don't get a chance to harvest too many birds, but that day I did get to the chance to take my first re-neck drake. And from there on out, I was hooked. Well, obviously, you know, when you're a waterfowl hunter, the name Ducks Unlimited becomes very prevalent. And um, I did some research. Obviously, I didn't have any money when I was 15, but I was able to convince my mom and dad to give me $35 to become a member where I received, you know, your fleece pullover at that time. Yeah. Yep. And um, from there, I continued to be a member every year until I went to Purdue University, where I um, did my best to help out the the Purdue Collegiate chapter. I was very busy in my time at Purdue, so I didn't get to give it the time that it deserved. Um, and then I actually moved to a Bowling Green and got my master's at Western Kentucky, and there I needed something to do. And I reached out to the regional director of Kentucky and said, hey, let's get Western kentucky's du chapter rolling and i did and it was you know some of the most fun i've ever had you know getting to work alongside individuals like myself um who were busy in college but still wanted to give some time and effort to make some money i love this story
1: i love this story
3: Yep, and then and then from there, my you know my passion for DU continued, and the opportunity arose to become a regional director, where I've been able to continue and push my passion and share my passion with all the volunteers in my region, all the folks attending our events on a regular basis. It's been awesome.
1: It's been a you've made your vocation your vacation. So Wyatt, so great to visit with you, as always, and great success to Ducks Unlimited and keep going to those events, keep supporting, become a volunteer, and get online and find out how you can get involved. Wyatt, so good to visit with you, and I'll be back in touch with you real soon here and when we hit that two million five hundred how's that sounds good brian i appreciate it nice to talk to you it is the indiana outdoor show saw him thursday night great du sponsor event and always honored to be a part of it it is the indiana outdoor show brought to you by indiana donor network driven to save lives i your host brian pointer we're going to be back right after this have a great show like this I was getting trouble with the producers because it just leaves no time at the end other than to say I'm so grateful to be a part of this Indiana Outdoors show especially this time of the year so much activity at the fairgrounds with the deer turkey waterfowl expo this weekend hope to see you out there thanks to our great guests like Gene Hopkins and his organization, and all those volunteers at the Sportsman's Roundtable, keeping track on the legislature, as you heard, successes with the Bobcat issue and a few other bills to pay attention to. Brandon Butler, always a great storyteller, so many things that he is working on. Loved his story about his recovering or retrieving freedom new gig as CEO. We're going to follow that. Wyatt Lucas with Ducks Unlimited. It's been a round robin today, but it is a humongous story that little. Indiana almost leads the country in fundraising. Folks, remember, turn in a poacher. 1-800-TIP-I-D-N-R. You know it. I'll see you out at the Deer Turkey Waterfowl Expo. If not, I'll see you in the great Indiana outdoors. Or I'll just see you outside. Be safe, everybody. Have a great weekend.